What gave 11 ordinary and otherwise unremarkable men the confidence to proclaim the gospel in the face of immediate and intense opposition? Every single disciple died a martyr's death with the exception of John, who, by the way, they tried to kill by boiling him in a pot of oil. But he didn't die. And I'm not sure which was worse. You see, the question of the skeptic is, why? The question for the skeptic is, why? Why would these men choose to suffer and die for something they knew to be a lie? The skeptic says, listen, there's no way Jesus rose from the dead. It's just got to be a lie. And all the disciples did was perpetuate something they knew to be a lie. Because dead men don't rise from the dead. The problem is, the disciples weren't good enough to hide a body for 2,000 years. There were too many skeptics in the Roman government, in the, in the Jewish hierarchy around the temple there, that would have found the body if it were there. Now, it is true, people lie all the time, don't they? <laughs> Amen. You got lied to this week, I promise you. You may not even know it, but somebody lied to you in the last seven days. The truth is, people die for lies, don't they? But people don't voluntarily die for something they know to be a lie. You with me? Some of you remember Jonestown. You remember these cult situations where, where people commit mass suicide. Listen, they die for a lie, but they don't believe it's a lie. And so the skeptic's charge is that that the disciples just knew it wasn't true that he was raised from the dead, but they perpetuated a lie. The problem is people don't die for lies if they know they're not true. Chuck Colson, founder of Prison Fellowship and Breakpoint Radio Program, he passed away just a few years ago, He helps us understand this as good as any. Before God saved Chuck Colson, Colson was a Marine Corps colonel and President Richard Nixon's hatchet man. The guy Nixon trusted to do what no one else would, mostly the illegal and dirty stuff. And Colson earned that title hatchet man because he was ruthless. He was the kingpin behind the Watergate wiretapping scandal. And he teamed up with five other guys, all of them hardened veterans from the Marines, the FBI, and the CIA. But the wiretapping operation went south, we know from history, and they got caught. And when the press broke the story, Colson called the group together to come up with an alibi, a lie. And they agreed on a fake story and vowed that they would stick to that false narrative to the end. We're going to die for this lie. Everybody clear on the lie. This is what we're going to tell. This is what we're going to go to our grave saying about what happened. And then they were called in one by one for questioning. Colson asked the question, do you know how long it took for each of us to break? Does anybody know, by the way? Not long. 
under threat of prison, we started pointing fingers at each other in less than a week. Well-trained, we could almost say brainwashed CIA agents, FBI operators. I mean, these are people who are, who are, who are taught mental toughness. They're, 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 they're trained in how to, to die without revealing national secrets. And in less than a week, they turned on each other and said, you know, here's the deal, I can't, I, I can't. I can't be indicted, I can't go to jail for a lie. Colson turns the discussion toward the disciples and he asks this question, are you going to try to convince me that a bunch of untrained fishermen maintain their story unbroken to the end, consistent among all 11 of them, as each was tortured and executed? Not a chance, Colson says. You see, the disciples had seen Jesus alive from the dead. That is why they never denied him, because it was true. And they had touched him. They talked to him. They'd heard him. They'd eaten with him. They simply could not deny an actually resurrected Savior. He was there. And they knew he was alive. As we continue this morning in our study of the book of Acts, we've been going through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 8 this morning. We've entitled this study of, of the book of Acts, Jesus Gospel Gathering for gospel going. What's the book of Acts all about, these 28 chapters? Well, it's about the church of Jesus Christ. The, the Greek word used in, in, in the New Testament is the, is the word ekklesia, and we've, we've, we've told you that for this reason. When we think of church, too often, that, that word that has a German root, we, too often we think of a building. When the disciples would have heard the word ekklesia, they would have thought of a gathering of people around the gospel of Jesus. These are people who had been captured by the gospel, who were now owned by Christ. He had purchased their salvation. They were his Jesus gospel gathering for... Why did they gather around the gospel? So that they might go with the gospel. Jesus gospel gathering for gospel going. Jesus had said... Be a disciple and then make disciples of all the nations. Take the gospel, celebrate the gospel, and then share the gospel. Send the gospel even to the ends of the earth because there is no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. So this morning, I want to talk to you as we get back into Acts chapter 8 after a few weeks off. sure enjoyed having um, Brother, uh, Brother Denzel here a couple weeks ago. Appreciate Brother Claude being in the pulpit last Sunday as Betsy and I, oh, let's see, we were about, I don't know, 11,000 feet when you were in church, just climbing a mountain, and it was wonderful. Thank you for letting us have that time away, and uh, we'll show you pictures later. But anyway, I want to talk to you this morning from Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40, about following the Lord's leading in leading people to the Lord. Following the Lord's leading in leading people to the Lord. We've been called to go make disciples. That's leading people to the Lord. Part of how that needs to happen is we need to follow the Lord's leading in doing what he's called us to do, leading people to the Lord. Y'all with me? Y'all tracking? Here's the take home this morning. We must obey the Spirit's voice in order to be faithful witnesses for Jesus. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, and if you're uh, one of our more Reformed uh, brother, brethren or sisters around the church this morning, you may be thinking, oh, this is going to get a little charismatic, isn't it? Yeah, you're right, so hang on. 
Good for you. Hang on. You need a little bit of that. I need a little bit of that. Uh, we all need a little bit of that. So we're, we're going we're gonna to learn to listen, I hope, to the Spirit's voice this morning. We must obey the Spirit's voice in order to be faithful witnesses for Jesus. The Holy Spirit is said to be speaking, as you look through the book of Acts, about 40 different times. It'll say the Holy Spirit said, or the Holy Spirit spoke and said. And it'll, it, it's clear the Spirit of God is speaking to an individual or a group. At least 18 of those instances, God gives extraordinary guidance in extending gospel witness to the world. In other words, when the Holy Spirit speaks, he's talking about, he's telling someone about getting the gospel to someone who hadn't heard about Jesus yet. He's giving them specific direction about how to witness, who to talk to, where to go to preach the gospel next. We see it all through the book of Acts. Can I, can I start out with this practical question? When was the last time that you can point to that you sensed the Spirit of God speaking to you, that you heard the Spirit of the living God who lives in you speaking to you? Should Chad, you talking about an audible voice? No. But if you have the Spirit of God, then you ought to know what that experience is. You ought to know what it is to hear the Spirit of God speak. And we're not making this up. It's not some theological system we've built. This comes straight out of the Word of God that we're fixing to see. My greater question is, are we even listening for His voice? That's really what this message is all about. I hope you'll have your answer by the end. I hope you got it now, but I hope you'll certainly have it by the end. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Will you stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading uh, on purpose this morning to be on the screen from the New Living Translation. Acts chapter 8. Verse 26. Remember where we've been up to this point. What's going on in Samaria? That's where we're at. What's been going on? Philip preached the gospel, and what happened? Revival broke out. The Samaritans received his message, the text says, with great joy. Revival's going on in Samaria. People getting saved. The the apostles came down, confirmed, yep, this is the real deal. God's actually saving those wretched Samaritans. we got to change how we think about this race we've hated for a thousand years because God has given them salvation. Suddenly all these barriers of race, they're gone. So that's where we were when we last read in Acts chapter 8. Now verse 26. As for Philip, the preacher at the revival, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south down to the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now, just so you know, Gaza was roughly 100 miles from Samaria where Philip was. We're not told that he actually had to walk all the way to Gaza, just down the road that went to Gaza. He had to find that road and get on it. So he's somewhere, most likely, between Jerusalem and Gaza. Still a stretch of about 40 or 50 miles. But even even in order to get to the Gaza road, he had to, to walk at least 40 or 50 miles. So get it, revival's going on, the preacher of the revival is there, and God says, I need you to go down to the desert road. I need you to take about a 50-mile hike to the desert. That's all he tells him. Verse 27, may we be like Philip. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The word Candake in this translation is the reason I used it. It's the official, it was the official title for the queen of Ethiopia. It meant the queen in, in that language in that time. Some of your Bibles say uh, under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, as if it was her name. It was actually an official title. 
the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, verse 28, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he'd been reading was this, from Isaiah 53. He was led like a, a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken up from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? I need to know who this is that's slaughtered like a sheep. I didn't even know who this Lamb of God is. Was it Isaiah or somebody else? So, verse 35, so beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. What a message that must have been. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. You may be seated. Again, the take-home truth is this. We must follow, even as Philip did, the Spirit's voice. We must obey the Spirit's voice in order to be faithful witnesses for Jesus. And, and, and several, several truths I want you to see from this text this morning. First of all, we must follow the Spirit's lead when the directions make no sense. Verse 26. They're in revival in Samaria. As for Philip... The text says, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. We must follow the Spirit's lead when the directions make no sense. Hey, Philip, I'm an angel of God. Here's your next assignment right now. Not after the dust settles, but now. Leave the revival and take a walk in the desert. Go down toward Philistia. It's not even, a, it's not even your part of the country, your neck of the woods. Leave the revival, take a walk in the desert. We must trust and obey God, according to this text, one step at a time. That's all he told Philip. Leave and go there. And so Philip left and went there. Are we that responsive to the Spirit of God, to the voice of God? You say, well, just because you're right, it's an angel at this point, right, that, that talks. You say, well, maybe, I, maybe if an angel appeared, I, 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 might, I, might, I might hear God and I might respond, okay, maybe. But then we're going to deal with the Spirit here in a minute, right? We must follow the Spirit's lead when the directions make no sense. You can't help but think of Abraham, can you? Back in Genesis, uh, Larry's doing a study of the life of Abraham on Wednesday nights. God came to Abraham and he said, here's the deal, I want you to leave your family, leave everything you know, I want you to go to a place that I will tell you. That means I'm not telling you today, but when you get close, I'll let you know you're close. and You can stop walking and you can unload everything. You can settle down. And I'll let you know, but, but I just want you to pick up Abraham and go. God's been doing this for thousands of years at this point in history. And so at the beginning of the church, he comes to Philip and he said, Great job in Samaria. 
you've got the gospel right. My spirit's doing a work. Revivals broke out. But you need to go to the desert. What, Lord? I mean, I mean, how many of you enjoy revival? How many of you enjoy revival? A lot of good singing, a lot, a lot of better preaching, huh? It's okay, raise your hand. How many of you are looking forward to our week of prayer for spiritual awakening? We're calling it that because we don't create revival, we pray for revival. How many of you are looking forward to that next week? Uh, is that all? I mean, I can cancel. Anybody looking forward to, to, to a special series of meetings? I hope your schedule has been reprioritized. This is a good time for me to talk about this because there was revival going on in Samaria. Let me tell you, they changed their priorities. At least during the time that the Spirit of God was moving in power, things were different. I expect you to be here. God expects you to be here. Rearrange your schedules, your priorities. That means you may have to forego some sports events to be here. By the way, that's just normal for the church of Jesus Christ. So it shouldn't be surprising that the pastor stands up and says, Hey, I expect you to skip a ball game or a football practice. Hello, y'all all right? If you want revival in the church of Jesus Christ, it takes reprioritizing and coming and seeking the face of God. So anyway, Philip, leave, leave, the, leave the revival. Those directions make no sense. Didn't God know that Philip's gifts would be best used right there? Cultivating the gospel work that was going on, the, the work of the Spirit, feeding them the Word of God that he was steeped in so they could grow. Didn't he know? <laughs> really? He knew exactly what he was doing, didn't he? So we must follow the Spirit's lead when the directions make no sense. Secondly, we must follow the Spirit's lead because we'll often find the Lord has arranged a divine appointment. Verses 27 and 28. So he started out. He just obeyed. Will you just obey? When you hear him speak, will you just do what he calls you to do and not have to have all the details before you start moving? Can you imagine what revival would happen if we simply did that? He started out and met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The queen of the Ethiopians was known, as we've said, as the Candake. And this black-skinned eunuch was the treasurer of the entire country. He was a quite powerful man. But in case there's any clarification that needs to be made about what a eunuch is and why he would have been a eunuch, he lived in the, king, in the, in the queen's palace. He oversaw all the, 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 the money of Ethiopia. A eunuch was a castrated male. Why? So that he didn't bother. There was no threat to the queen. It was a common practice in that day. And yet this man was in control of the wealth of Ethiopia, which at the time would have represented all or most of the African continent today. And yet the Lord is at work in the life of a man whose nationality as an Ethiopian, not a Jew, and sexual impotence might have made him think the God of Israel would never care about him. In fact, there was a sign over the entrance to the outer court of the temple that said, no lame, no blind, and no eunuchs may enter here. So was the misunderstanding and the, and the perversion of the truth of the word of God among the leadership of the temple. So this guy had most likely traveled 500 or so miles only to find that he couldn't even go into the temple. And yet, God was drawing this man and giving him a hunger for salvation in Christ. 
I agree with J.D. Greer that he was probably reading Isaiah 56, verses 4 through 6, before he backed into the passage you've already heard, quoted from Isaiah 53. You say, well, what does Isaiah 56 say? It says in verse 4, Let the eunuch no longer say, Behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who embrace my covenant. I will give in my house a name better than sons and daughters, an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You know what, you know what, that, you know what kind of promise that would be for a eunuch from a place called Ethiopia? It was the gospel to them. Uh, the, the word that, that, that God is saying, listen... If you will accept my covenant, in essence, if you'll trust in in the resurrected Jesus, I'll give you a better name than those who are naturally born and circumcised Jews, but those who won't trust Jesus, who say he's not the Messiah, who are still, as Jews, waiting for another one to come, who does it different and more like they thought he would do it, who gives them relief from the Romans, etc., etc., God says, I'll give you a better name. You will be part of my true people. You just won't be the the physical people of God who, in terms of eternity, are apart from God, without hope and without God in this world. You will be part of my family. Now, Philip had no idea when he went to that desert road that the the eunuch would be there, but God did. And and he was already at work in this man's heart before Philip even arrived. In fact, it's rather obvious God sovereignly orchestrated this whole deal, didn't he? I wonder how many divine appointments we miss because we aren't listening for the Spirit's voice. And he says, go to the desert road and we stay at revival. Or he says, go to your neighbor and we stay at the house with our family. Or maybe the directions that we do here just seem so ridiculous and we just think, you can't really mean for me to leave the revival and go to the desert. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, Lord. And we just act like in our in a reason in our own minds that couldn't be God, though we really know deep down that was the voice of the Spirit. By the way, you may be here today and today may be your divine appointment. Trust Jesus as your Savior. You're here, not by happenstance. You're here because today God wants to speak to you. God is speaking to you. God's been creating questions and stirrings in your heart. Questions been brewing in your mind about truth, about life and death and sin and, 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 and God himself. And, and is there a way to know him and have peace with him? Maybe... In your heart, there's been the stirrings of the conviction of sin by the Holy Spirit at work to tell you, you in fact do. Because of your sin, you need a Savior. You need to be made, brought into peace with God and have your sins forgiven and be made right in His presence. Declare righteous before holy God. Can I urge you with something today? Don't let this divine appointment pass you by. Don't let this opportunity slip. Say yes and start moving toward Jesus and he'll move toward you. He's already moving toward you. He's drawing you with cords of love even in this moment. Well, church, we must follow the Spirit's lead because the Lord will oftentimes have arranged a divine appointment. Thirdly, we must follow the Spirit's lead by boldly engaging the person 
Verses 29 and 30. So there's a divine appointment happening. We start down the desert road. We find all of a sudden, here's the reason God said, go to the desert. It becomes obvious. He, he reveals it to us once we've obeyed and gone. The Holy Spirit said to Philip as he gets down there, go over and walk alongside the carriage. He sees this Ethiopian eunuch traveling, this, this, this entourage that he would have had. He was probably... It's not like the flannel graphs of, of Sunday school where he was in this little like Roman-type little half-shell chariot. He was probably on some ornate couch being carried on the shoulders of some big old strong brawny guys. And so it's real clear this guy's important. And, and the Spirit says to Philip, go over and walk beside the carriage. Philip ran over. God knew if he got him that far, he knew what would happen next. If he got him up close to the carriage, what would happen next? He would hear the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And then, Philip, if you're not smart enough to figure out what to do next, you're pretty dumb, son. I done got you right here. You hear him reading the Bible. All you got to do is ask a question. Do you understand what you're reading? You say, stuff like this never happens in my life. Well, maybe it's because you never leave revival. Maybe it's because you never set foot on the desert road. Maybe it's because you're just not listening and you're not willing to get close to the chariot, to close to the carriage. Maybe you even hear the question, but you're not willing to turn a question on the person God sent you to and, and, and get down to business with it. You see, we're not told, even though the Lord directed Philip's introduction to the eunuch, we're not, we're not told how the Spirit. The Holy Spirit said. That's just what the text says. The Holy Spirit said. We're not, we're not told how he said what he said to Philip. We don't know if it's an audible voice or, or just the, the inner witness of the Spirit of God to his heart and mind. But Philip knew. Philip knew that it was the Spirit of Christ speaking and telling him to boldly engage the eunuch. Walk right up to his carriage. Get close. When you hear something that sounds like gospel interest, ask a gospel question. And so he did. And in this encounter, we see another part of Acts 1, verse 8 being fulfilled. That text says, Jesus speaking, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That happened on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And they had done that, right? Then persecution scattered them, and the text goes on, and in all Judea and Samaria... They got driven out of the, the, the town of the city of Jerusalem, driven into Samaria. Persecution caused the, the revival that broke out in Samaria. And Philip preached the gospel, and the Samaritans heard. And then the last part of Acts 1, verse 8 says, And to the end of the earth. Suddenly from Samaria, without, with, listen, without a hesitation, without a break, without some big long time delay, Philip goes from, the, from a witness in Jerusalem to being a witness in Samaria to being a witness to an African who would have lived a good long way away from Jerusalem, part of the ends of the earth that Acts chapter Jesus was talking about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You see, we must follow the Spirit's lead by boldly engaging the person. Sometimes it can be a simple question. Sometimes they almost beg you to tell them if you're on the desert road and if you're close to the carriage and listening to what is going on in their lives. And all you have to do is say, do you understand what you're reading? To which they'll reply, how can I unless someone teaches you, teaches me? And the door opens for gospel witness. Are we sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God? Fourthly, 
We must follow the Holy Spirit's lead by staying close to the Word. Look how Philip answers this man. Verses 31 to 35, the man replied, How can I unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of Scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Jesus is in view here. And as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. A prophecy 800 years before Jesus was born, he was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me. (laughs) Tell me. Philip, tell me. Was the prophet talking about himself? Or someone else. So beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. How do you give Jesus to somebody? How do you give someone Jesus? That's a real question that I want to hear an answer. <clears throat> huh? We're in real trouble <clears throat> at this point in time because nobody knows how to give someone Jesus. How do you give somebody Jesus? Pardon? What do you tell them? Huh? Testimony, that's a good place to start, but but what's got to be included? What's that, Pam? God's Word. What did Philip do? Starting with this same Scripture. How do you give somebody Jesus? You give them the Word of God. You tell them the Scriptures concerning Jesus Paul would tell Timothy, the young pastor at the church at Ephesus in 2 Timothy 3.14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, that is God's word, knowing from whom you've learned it, the gospel in particular, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul tells Timothy, the scriptures will make you wise to salvation. And when he said that, he was referring to passages like Isaiah 53. He was looking at the only Bible he had at the time, the Old Testament scriptures. And he was saying, the Old Testament scriptures will lead you to faith in Jesus Christ. Can you lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ? Are you able, do you know the Old Testament well enough to be able to lead them to Christ from the Old Testament? You don't have to just know that, I'm just asking. Could you take Isaiah 53 and explain the gospel from Isaiah 53? Because it's there. And lead someone to Jesus. That's what Philip did. Praise the Lord, we've got, we got more than the, the Old Testament. If your answer to that question is no, hang on. I, you're not left out. There's still hope for you to be able to give someone Jesus. But understand, you've got to know the Word to be able to share it. Amen? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. You can't lead someone to Jesus without the Scriptures. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to have your Bible in the moment, but you better have your Bible in your heart, on your tongue, in the moment. I mean, you don't just look at somebody and say, you know, Doug, here's the deal. I love Jesus. Hope you'll love Jesus, Doug. Doug, I hope you love Jesus. Just get close to me, Doug. Just come stand with me, Doug. You'll get it. It'll happen to you. No, it won't. You'll just look like a fool jumping up and down on the stage like this bald guy was right then. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, the Gospel. It's a message that has content about the historical life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a story. It's good news that you've got to announce. And we find it in the written 
Word of God. But understand, and by the way, that's why Sunday school is so important. That's why you need small group Bible study to grow in the Word so you can have it in your mind and in your heart, ready to share when the Spirit of God says, go to the desert and talk to that black man right there. Tell him about Jesus now. He's searching. He's asking for the gospel. You are the only one within miles that knows who Jesus is. Talk to him. You've got to know the word if you're going to be prepared for that. That's why Sunday school is so important. But understand, it doesn't take a PhD in Bible to get the job done. Remember, Philip was a regular fella. Don't miss that. He wasn't a church leader. He wasn't a pastor. Wasn't an apostle, just someone who loved Jesus and the Bible and, and allowed the Spirit of Jesus to control and use him, the text tells us. Now, let me ask you, can you share the Roman road? Look on the screen, you'll find it. Write it down if you don't know it as I go through it. Can, can, can you turn in your Bible to Romans 3.23 and say to someone, here's the deal, here's the bad news for all of us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in fact, it gets worse. Romans 6, 23a, the first part of that verse says, the wages of sin is death. Friend, you and I, apart from Jesus, are right there, condemned by our sins and headed for a devil's hell. We are under the righteous judgment of Almighty God. But Romans 5, verse 8 says that God demonstrates his love towards us, demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, running 100 miles in the other direction away from God, God so loved us, he demonstrated his love toward us in that he gave Christ to die. Christ, his son, died for us when we were still sinners. And so now, if we will simply look to Jesus and trust him and accept the gift that he's given, the gift of forgiveness that he's given then Romans 6.23 says, the second part of that verse says, we can have the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And, and, and the way this transaction actually happens is Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, which says, if you co- will call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you'll believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead. And confess, or if you believe in your heart that, that, that he died for your sins, and, 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 and I'm paraphrasing, obviously I can't get it quoted right at this particular moment, but it's okay, get close. Or just get your Bible out if you need to. If you, if you mess up like I'm messing up right now, you've not ruined it. It's not over. Power's not in your communication, it's in the message. If you believe in your heart that, that Jesus died on the cross for your, to pay for your sins, and if you, if you confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead in victory over your sin, then you will be saved, the Bible says. And so then for you, friend, what will be true is Romans 8, verse 1, that says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God Almighty now looks at you not as one under his divine judgment, but one in his Son and in his righteousness, totally forgiven, totally and fully accepted in the Beloved. You are his precious child if you simply will trust Christ. Can you do that? Yeah, you can do that. You say, I can't do it that fast. That's okay. I had to do it fast. I, I, I may have to have my Bible. Do this. Get the Bible. Look it up on your phone. Whatever you got to do, get just that simple Romans road out and God will take his word and save people from their sin. Let's follow the Spirit's leading by staying close to the word. Fifthly, we must follow the Spirit's leading by encouraging a public confession concerning Jesus. Verse 36, as they rode along, and, and you'll notice if you're sharp, you're going to notice there's not a verse 37 on the screen. It's because it's not, 
That's because there's not a verse 37 in most manuscripts. There is in some of your translations, perhaps. It's questionable whether that one's uh, actually there. But anyway, verse 36, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's some water. There's some water. Philip had said something that he knew he needed to do this act of obedience called baptism. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. The main point of the text is not the fact that they went down into the water and therefore were probably immersing Philip, but just as a side note as a Baptist preacher, there it is. And then it says in a minute that they came up out of the water. I mean, all they had to do was get a cup and dip if they were just going to sprinkle or pour. Amen? Just saying. Baptism, however it happened, is a public identification with Jesus, a symbol of what had happened in this man's heart. He had trusted Jesus as that lamb slaughtered for the sins of the world. When we trust Jesus as our Savior, we are buried with him in baptism and payment for sin, and then in his death and payment for sin, and then we are raised with him in his power over sin, death, and hell. When his Father, the Spirit's lead by encouraging a public confession concerning Jesus, you say, is that really important? Is it, I, mean, I mean, if they trust him, is, is, is it really important that they do something, that they make a, take a stand for him publicly? Absolutely. Because Jesus in Mark 8, verse 38 said, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here's all I can tell you. Jesus said, if you won't stand up and own up, if you won't stand up and say, I follow the resurrected Christ, then Jesus will say to the Father, I don't know who, who this is. Doesn't matter what you say. Doesn't matter if, you, matter if you join a church, if you get baptized. If you're ashamed of Jesus, Jesus said, on the day, the, day, the only day that really matters in all of human history, judgment day, I will be ashamed of you. You prove your saving faith in Jesus by standing and testifying to your trust in him. You must follow the Spirit's leading by encouraging a public confession concerning Jesus. Now, can you make a public conf confession and it be false? Absolutely. Jesus would also say, many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, did I not, what not a perfect church member? <laughs> Didn't I say all the right things and do all the right stuff? And Jesus on that day will say to you, depart from me. So it's both. It's heart and mouth. And whatever, whatever you say with your mouth is going to be backed by what happened in the heart. Amen? It's, it's that order. But if it's in the heart, it will come out of the mouth. Got it? Okay, good. Lastly. We must follow the Holy Spirit's leading by always being ready for your next assignment. Look at verses 39 and 40. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. That's just cool. I have no idea what it means. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, any, any Star Trek fans? <laughs> yeah. So, so there was the round thing. They would just walk into the round thing and beam me up Scotty, you know. Jesus just beamed him out of the Gaza road and in, in, into the town of Azotus, we're told. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. He didn't care. He just got his soul saved from a devil's hell. He just met Jesus. He was forgiven forever. He knew he was righteous before a holy God. And he's like, man, if God can save me, if he can raise Jesus from the dead, I guess he can teletransport, whatever that means, because uh, we don't have that in his day. But, but he can do what he just did with Philip, and I'll be all right. You ever expect anything weird to happen, supernatural to happen in your life, around your life, in, in your ministry for Jesus? Or do you just expect it kind of just to be what you can pull off and how, what, what you can do? I mean, we need to live at a different level, folks. He raised Jesus from the dead. He can teletransport Philip to his Otis. 
Now, don't go out here and tell you, tell, say, say, you know, man, don't, don't start praying. I want, instead of driving on my next vacation, I want, God, I want you to tell the transport. I'll witness for, me, for you if you'll, if you'll just beam me to Colorado. It doesn't work that way. text goes on. Meanwhile, Philip found himself. Don't you like that? Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Philip didn't get to finish the trip to Ethiopia and go evangelize there. But the early church historian Eusebius tells us that this eunuch and his entourage would take care of that. History tells us that this group went back to Ethiopia and were used to start a church in Ethiopia that would soon grow to be one of the largest regional churches in the then-known world. It wouldn't be long before there would be a great Christian library, just a couple hundred years, in Alexandria, Egypt, which was just north of Ethiopia. It was on the way from where he was going. By the way, one of the nations in which the church is growing fastest today, the first is Iran, the second is Africa. And have y'all picked up on something? We got Jews being saved in Acts. We got cross, you know, crossbred, half-breed Samaritans being saved in the book of Acts so far. We're eight chapters in. We got black people being saved, Africans getting saved. There's not the first white person being saved yet in the book of Acts. You see the heart of God for the nations? Do you hear what I said the other night? We are the minority in the body of Christ, not only in this moment, but in all of church history and around the world today. And just for the record, it'd be several more years, quite a few more years before any of our ancient descendants, like the Anglo, uh, the, the Saxons and, and that bunch in, in Britain, it'd be quite a while yet, at least about 100 years roughly, before they would hear the gospel and believe. Or whatever that's worth. And this crazy thing that happened in Africa all started with a brief God-guided appointment on a desert road because Philip said, yes, Lord, I'll go to the desert. I'll leave the revival and I'll go to the desert. And I'll have one conversation with one man who's already seeking you and a whole continent, are you listening, will be changed for Jesus. Don't underestimate what God can do with you. There's stupid things in your perspective on a, in a desert place, on a small scale. He can take the little and blow them up into the big, and that's exactly what he did here. God used Philip to make a disciple who would then make other disciples. Not years down the road, when he was a mature Christian, had it all figured out, been going to Sunday school for about 20 years, thought he might understand God's Word good enough to start witnessing, but right out of the gate, as one of the first steps in following Jesus, he was making disciples of others to follow Jesus and then figuring it out together. The text says Philip was snatched away by the Spirit of God and found himself at Azotus. God supernaturally transported Philip about at least 20 to 30 miles to the town of Azotus. And what does he do there? What does he do there? He preached the gospel there, the Bible says. You see, Philip stayed ready for gospel conversations. If we're to follow the lead of the Spirit, we must always, we do that by always being ready for our next assignment. Philip was still with the Ethiopian, and yet God was moving him. I mean, let's tell you, Philip's been busy. He was used to start a revival. He had to leave revival because there was a desert appointment. Now he is, is taken by the Spirit to his Zotus. He's not getting a break. No time off. Man, he's in his Zotus. He's preaching the gospel. He was ready, stayed ready 
Are you ready? Do you stay ready for your next gospel assignment? 1 Peter 3, verses 14 and following encourages us this way. Peter says of those who oppose us, of of those who don't believe, have no fear of them nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Peter says, don't be afraid and always be ready to tell people why you have hope. In Jesus. Because the Spirit of God could whisk you away from the desert road and pop you into a Zotus where you, it was your turn to preach. Be ready. Philip wasn't afraid. He preached the gospel in a Zotus and in every town, the text says, till he came to Caesarea. It's about a hundred mile journey up the Mediterranean coast where the Lord allowed him to settle down and take up residence. We know that because we find him as a homeowner in Caesarea. In Acts chapter 21, verse 8, it says on the next day, Luke is writing about he and Paul and their entourage. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And so his journey was fast-paced and quick and and covered a lot of miles. But when he got to Caesarea, God let him settle in and, and make a home and continue to preach the gospel there. We must follow the Spirit's lead by always being ready for our next assignment. Martin Lloyd-Jones pastor, was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London from 1939 to 1968. As you know, Presbyterians are serious about theology. Amen? They're serious about getting it right. They're they're doctrinally sound and and strong and and, and tend of all, probably of of, of all the the evangelical denominations, tend to be the the least charismatic. That is to say, the least open to the supernatural working of the Spirit in their lives. That doesn't mean they're not, but it just means that's kind of where they're at. They're on the other end from the charismatics. You with me? Martin Lloyd-Jones, Presbyterian pastor, Westminster Chapel, London, said this in his book, The Sovereign Spirit, of this passage. There's no question that God's people can look for and expect leadings, guidance, indications of what they are meant to do. If you read the history of the saints, God's people through the centuries, and especially the histories of revivals, you will find that this is something which is perfectly clear and definite. Men have been told by the Holy Spirit to do something. They knew it was the Holy Spirit speaking to them, and it transpired that it obviously was His leading. It seems clear to me, Lloyd-Jones says, that if we deny such a possibility, we are again guilty of quenching the Spirit. And I agree with Lloyd-Jones. Why would we not expect to hear the voice of the Spirit who lives in us telling us how to specifically apply the Word of God. Now, let me just ask you, does that mean every time you hear somebody say, well, God's, God told me? You know, a lot of times that just shuts conversation down, because what do you say? If God told them, well, how, who are you to argue? Well, let me tell you who you are to argue. If what God told them, if what the Spirit supposedly said to them doesn't sync up with the written Word of God, you can tell them that that weren't God. That they got some heartburn they need to get some tums about. 
Or they got another spirit speaking to them. But whatever God says to them by his spirit will sync with the word that the same spirit of Jesus inspired. But, and so let's be clear, God's word's our authority. But that reality does not preclude the Spirit of God supernaturally directing and guiding us in specific applications of the Word of God. That is in perfect sync with the teaching of the Word of God, but in a specific for this present moment kind of application, like Philip who had heard Jesus say, make disciples going over and talking to the Ethiopian eunuch and explaining beginning in Isaiah 53 who Jesus was. The Spirit directed all of that. And every bit of that syncs up with the Word of God and the great commission of Jesus Christ. Amen? Did did Philip do anything unbiblical? Did he get anything from the Spirit that that was out of sync with what he'd been commissioned to do? Absolutely not. It's in perfect sync. And so as those who revere the authority of the Word of God, we also need to be those who are listening to the voice of the Spirit who will speak and direct in sync with the scriptures. So as we close, I wonder if you'd make this prayer your own on the screen, the prayer on the next slide. Father, I'll go wherever you lead me. Please give my heart ears to hear the voice of your spirit and boldness to speak your good news as you lead me into gospel conversations that are divine appointments where you are already at work to save. Will you pray that? Will you basically say, I want to obey the Spirit of God and be a faithful witness to Jesus. I want the Lord to lead me by His Spirit into leading others to Him. Father, I'll go wherever you lead me. Will you go to the desert? Will you leave the revival and go to the desert? Please give me my heart ears to hear the voice of your spirit and boldness to speak your good news as you lead me into gospel conversations that are clearly divine appointments where you are already at work to save. Will you make that your prayer? Maybe the Spirit of God has been leading you to take that co-worker to lunch and see what God is doing in his or her life. It could be that simple. You take them to lunch and you just listen. And they start talking. And, and they start telling you about their, 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 their marriage that's falling apart. They start telling you about their fear of, of, of death. They start telling you about, uh, about their insecurities in life. And, and all of a sudden, there's a gospel opportunity. And, and, and you just start talking about the gospel. Maybe the Spirit of God is calling you to go on your first, first short-term mission trip. Do you realize this is the first short-term mission trip in the Bible right here? Maybe you know the Spirit of God has been calling you to be part of a a short-term mission trip so that you can see the needs of the nations. You know He's wanting you to do something outside of this county, outside of our state, even outside of our nation. He wants you to go somewhere and see another part of the world and how God is at work there. He wants you to see His his big design, His his glory in, in, in the big picture in another culture. By the way, we are called, in case there's any misunderstanding, we are called, uh, and, and the misunderstanding will be about what Acts 1 verse 8 means. 
you'll receive power, and when you've received power, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Samaria, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are called to reach our community and the unreached peoples of the world with simultaneous priority. That's a good two words to remember. Simultaneous priority. Clearly taught here in the book of Acts, or else God would have just left them all in Jerusalem till that whole city believed, and all their children and their grandchildren and all the, the, the community believed. But he didn't do that. He allowed persecution to happen so they would go to the next level of Samaria and then finally on to the ends of the earth. God made missions happen quickly and simultaneous with the growth and development of the local church in Jerusalem. So when you hear someone say, you know, here's the thing, I think our, our, our main priority is right where we are. No, it's not. No. Your main priority is the great commission given by Jesus. Be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. As you're going into all the nations, make disciples. That's your priority. The world is our priority. Do you hear me? Does that mean we're to do any less here than we do there? No. We're to figure out some sort of balance. We're to figure out a simultaneous priority of gospel ministry. But you, you counter God himself and how he worked in the book of Acts if you say, we got to get it all done here before we go to the next level out and then the next, the ends of the earth. That's just not God. That's not what he did. And if it's not what he did in the book of Acts, who are we to change the plan, right? Maybe the Spirit of God's calling you to a life among the unreached at the furthest point from Gilmer County into lostness. On the other side of the world, don't ignore his voice. Maybe that's all you know. All you know is you want to go where the gospel's not been preached. That's all you know. Start walking toward that desert place. And when you get close, he'll tell you you're close. And he'll lead you each step of the way. He'll provide. He'll make provision. By the way... I, and I just, I just share this as, as a testimony of the faithfulness of God. I, can, I don't know how many short-term mission trips I've ever been on, but it's, it's, it's several. I don't know, probably upwards of close to a dozen. God has provided financially for me to go on every one of them. When I, and, and even in the days when I could not afford to pay a dime myself. You see, if God is calling you to a place, he'll get you there financially educationally. He'll, he'll do whatever he needs to do to get you there. It's amazing how God uses the body. You know what I do every time? I, it's time God, God gives the opportunity for a short-term mission trip. I send letters out to friends and family. Say, I need you to pray for me, and if God would use you to give. And you know what God does? God uses them to pray and give, and it's done. You say, I have no idea how it ever get to that unreached people group. I don't even know who that unreached people group is. I just feel God calling me. Just start moving. Just start walking toward Gaza. You're Gaza. He'll show you. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. If you're listening, you'll hear his voice. And you can obey him and be part of what he's doing in the world. Let's pray together.